is uh, today is uh, a good day to talk about the battle. That's what we're gonna, we're doing today. I want to talk to you about um, fighting the battles in life. You know, as Christians, um, we we understand what the Old Testament battles are about. The Old Testament battles. Um, if somebody just read the Old Testament and didn't make the connection spiritually, they would think that you know God was all about war because they're always fighting. And but what we do know is this: that those battles, though they were genuine and they were real, God chose those to give us, you know, to to repeat those stories for us so that we would understand another dimension in our life, and that's spiritual warfare that we face in our life uh, battles. And when we face battles, it isn't about, you know, taking a sword and cutting somebody's head off or punching somebody in the nose, not that kind of fighting. It's a different kind of fighting. And it's fighting for our lives, our families, uh, all, you know, the, the different challenges that come our way. And so we're, ta- we're taking a look at one of these battles that will give us insight on how we should live our life. This is for everyday life. This is for us today. And it's found in Exodus chapter 17 is uh, the location. And, uh, and it, it says this, and I'll just start, start in verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now Amalek, the Amalekites, um, they, they were... Um, they were always kind of seemed like a warring, a, a, a thorn in the flesh to Israel. And this, at this point, Israel is kind of, they're, they're, they're not in the promised land yet, and Amalek decides they're going to attack them. And, and it's interesting that how they attack them. It, it makes re- reference to in Rephidim, what was happening is Amalek would, this is how they would fight, they would kind of follow the, the group and they would, they would, you know, knock off the stragglers. So if someone was straggling, that's who they went after. And it was easy pickings for them. And they would get the stragglers and eventually they would, you know, attack the whole group, but they'd start knocking off people as they went along. And by the way, the enemy of our soul does the same thing. He looks for those who are the stragglers. They're easy pickings. You know, the people who are with the group, the people who have solid, you know, relationships spiritually, the people who have people who pray with them and fight with them, and, and you know, they're strong. They're strong. They're harder to knock off. But people who, you know, they're not really connected and they're, they're distant, you know, they show up once in a while to church, but they, they aren't really, you know, there to really get filled, not to get their faith strong. Their faith is a little bit weak. They're stragglers. They're, they're easy pickings for the enemy. And whenever he desires to, he can simply attack them, and, the, and their faith isn't strong enough for them to hold on tight to God. In fact, they fall away. But, but, in this story, I want you to notice a couple of things just in that first verse that tells us. They 
didn't choose their enemy. Their enemy chose them. They, we don't get to choose a lot of things in life, do we? There's a lot of things that just, they're, they're, they're not our choice, right? We don't choose how tall we're going to be, the color of our skin, our nationality. Um, I guess some people today do. I, I know um, some, there's been a few politicians that have thought they could choose their, but we don't get to. We don't even get to where, you know, to, 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 you know we don't even get to choose where we're born, we don't get to choose our parents, our siblings, knowing or not knowing our fathers or whether we are raised in a domestic violence or not. We, we don't get to choose that stuff. We don't choose to be born uh, to a poor family or to a rich family. And there are so many things in our life we don't get to choose. It's not our choice. In fact, all of us are trying to recover some, from something we didn't choose in life at some point. But you can choose God. You can choose God. And your battles choose you. And if your enemy chooses you, then you better choose your enemy. In other words, you better be willing to fight. Because if your enemy is choosing you, it will be relentless. And the enemy will destroy you if you allow. Now, the enemy that we all face in our life is we, we face the battles First of all, of our own sin nature. The Bible refers to it as the flesh. The flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Our spirit wants to go one way. Our flesh wants to fulfill its desires. And oftentimes, not always, the desires that, that our flesh desires, that the sinful part of our, our flesh desires to uh, choose things that are very destructive in our life. But it wants momentary pleasure at the, you know, not not considering the consequences that come from making the wrong choice. And we all deal with that in our life. And that never goes away. We face that our entire life. But we can diminish its influence in our life. And, the, the, and we also face a world, when I use the word world, I'm, not, I'm talking about the cultural um, you know, norms of, a, of, of the culture that is against the will of God, against the ways of God. And we all live in a culture like that. In fact, the whole world does. There's, there's, you know, there are those called maybe, there are those who might say they're a Christian nation, but they're not. Nobody's a Christian nation. We're, we're really just a nation that is, has influences, both ungodly and godly influences, and the culture pushes against the things of God and, and tries to make normal that which God says is not normal at least in his kingdom, not normal. And so it becomes something that really weighs against us in our life because we look around us and if everybody is doing what God says is not normal, well, then we're faced with dilemmas oftentimes in our life. And we face the world, challenges that way uh, as we follow Christ. And then thirdly, there is an enemy of your soul. The naturalists don't see this, but it's very clear not only biblically, but in much of the world it's much more evident than we, we would believe so, that there is, in fact, spiritual entities that are at work against us. The Bible says that the thief or Satan comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And his kingdom wants to destroy your life in any way that he can. And so he works over time to try to do that in, ver in various different ways. 
And so there's battles to be fought. There's battles to be fought sometimes and they'll rise their ugly head within your family or, with, or for your kids or in your workplace or in your health. There are different things that we face in our life that come against us and those who are wise and those who are um, biblical understand this and they know it's time to fight. And others who are not aware don't know how to fight it don't know how to use spiritual weapons that God has given us, and we just get hammered by it. But if your enemy chooses you, you must choose your enemy. And you must fight your enemy with everything. And I'm not talking about people. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. So I'm not talking about fighting people. Some of you, when I say enemy, you have... You have pictures of people that come to your mind. Now, they might be used by the enemy, but they're not the enemy. So Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight Amalek. So that's the, as they fight, fight Amalek. And so he says, choose fighters. Go out there and fight. And Joshua is a fighter. Joshua was that kind of guy um, that was willing to fight whenever, you know, the, the, there was need and to defend the people of God. And he was willing, excuse me, to do that. And so um, he says, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. I will stand at the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Moses understood something that the people in the valley didn't understand. And I would venture to say that most people don't understand. Moses understood that the battle, the battle in the natural realm is first won in the spiritual realm. That's what he understood. He understood, yeah, there's a battle to be won down. There's some fighting that has to take place. Some people have to get up, get their shields and their swords and go do their bat, that battle. But that will never take place unless, or, you know, victoriously, unless it's won spiritually first. And this is where so much is missed in our lives because so many people take and they begin, first of all, in the natural, they look at a situation, they look at a battle, they look at a, a challenge in their life that's difficult, and, and we're so, you know, self-made men or women, and we, we, we know how to kind of work things and fix things, but there are some things you can't work and fix. The battle is much too great. The battle is much bigger than what you can handle and kind of orchestrate and fix in your life. And we make the mistake of not inviting God into the center of that situation and we make bad decisions or we, make, uh, or we, we uh, attack the situation and, and it blows up on, in our face. And we wonder why we lost the battle. We wonder why we're being defeated. You wonder why life is falling apart on us. And it's largely as a result of the fact that 
the natural realm has to be won, first of all, by the spiritual realm. That we do what it takes spiritually first to have victory. Moses understood that. And it says, Joshua did as Moses said, and to him, and said to him, and fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Now, there's a dual battle going on. Moses and Aaron and Hur are up on the top of the mountain, and they're fighting one battle, and the, and, and the rest of them are in the valley, and they're fighting another battle. And understand that this dual battle is much of the time is the way it, it operates. Fighting sometimes is that God says, okay, there's a spiritual battle, and then there's some things that you need to do. You, you don't just sit around and wait for God to do it all sometimes. But sometimes, sometimes God does just say, okay, nobody needs to go in the valley this time. Just get up on the mountaintop, lift up your hands. In fact, in our men's breakfast yesterday, we talked about Second Chronicles and the, the story there where they went to battle and God says, this time it's on me. He says, he says the battle is mine. So he says, you guys, and, and he, he allowed them to just, you guys pray and worship. That, that's all you need to do. You pray and worship. And an army that was, way bigger than them. There was no way they could defeat that army. God wiped them out altogether. They ended up mysteriously fighting each other and killing each other. And God said, see, you don't even have to battle in this. And sometimes God will do that. He says, you just pray. And you, many of you have had that kind of experience. You prayed about something and God did it. You didn't even have to do anything. You just prayed and a miracle happened. And, and God does do that. But probably more than most of the time, it is the kind of thing where you pray and then God maybe will have you participate in the answer to the prayer, okay? Maybe that becomes part of it. And, uh, and so it says, so it was when Moses held his hand, held up his hand, that Israel prevailed and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Now, he's got the staff in his hand, and you can see that he's doing it this way. In fact, the, the rabbis give this picture of him doing this. He's lifting up the staff with his hands, and as he lifts up his staff with his hands, Israel prevailed. Now, I wonder, and this is the way I think, I wonder how long it took Moses to realize that he, his hands we're making the difference in the battle. I mean, would he, would, like when he went up there and he says, oh, Lord, you know, give us victory. And he looked down and they're winning. Oh, that's great, Lord. Thank you. <laughs> you know, and, and all of a sudden they're losing. Oh, Lord, help us, God. Help us. Oh, that's wonderful. We're winning. Yeah. Isn't that great? And, you know, I wonder how long it took for him to kind of figure it out. That when he had his hands up, victory, and when he brought his hands down, they were de being defeated. But at some point, he, actually, he obviously caught, caught it. He got the idea. You know, the Bible tells us, interestingly, in 1 Timothy 2.8, it says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Are you with me? 
I desire that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Now, this isn't just for men, but he's talking to men in this context. He, but that's also true for women as well. Lifting up, see, the lifting up of, 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 of your hands was a sign of prayer in, in, that, in that context. And so this is praying, praying everywhere. He says lifting. So Moses is praying. That lifting up his hands is a symbol of prayer. He's praying, and it's a symbol of worship. As we surrender to God, the Bible tells, says to lift up your hands in worship to the Lord. So both of those, uh, you know, both with the hands up are both of those symbols of prayer and worship. And so Moses, but Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. So he was standing, he was doing this, and then his arms, would get, he, even though he was realizing he, it was bringing victory, he just couldn't keep his arms up that long. And so the, the scripture says they took a stone and they put it down so he could sit and rest as he's lifting up his arms. But then it says, and Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Now I want you to notice the men had to hold up his hands. Now I would have probably looked for some stick, you know, kind of see if we could get the sticks going or maybe stack some rocks on his, under his arms so that would work. Because I, I always want to look and find the easiest way to make it happen. But it wasn't about easy. It was about who was going to help him. And it's always people who help us. It's always people. And the principle is this. All of us will face things in our life and we cannot on our own fully win the battle. We don't, we're not strong enough to keep our hands up. And we need others that are, will help us. They'll be with us. They'll participate with us in making that happen. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about not people trying to, you know, navigate life all by themselves and, you know, without support and help, even though pride would cause us to make that decision. The fact is, honesty, you know, before God is, Lord, I need your help and I need the help of others. And we gather together. And I've watched the strength of people over the years. It's why we have growth groups. Growth groups are so valuable. We want to make a place always for people to connect with other people so that when you face a battle in life, that you have a group of people who are warring with you, who pray with you, support you, are behind you, calling out to God on your behalf. People that are standing on the, on the mountaintop with you, saying, let's get this accomplished, you know? So many things could, be, could have been better for so many people if they would have had people who were there standing with them and fighting. A lot of victories would have been won that were not won. There's a, there's a, a lot of families that could have been you know, brought into a place of real um, health and celebration that weren't. There are children who have, who have been, you know, hammered by the enemy that would have been in a safe place if there would have been a group of people on the mountaintop praying for them. There are health issues that could have been defeated, you know, 
if there was a group of people who were standing with that person so they weren't alone on the mountaintop. We need people around us. And, and, and folks, sometimes getting, getting connected that way is uncomfortable, especially if, you know, it's, it's just not your, you might not feel like it's your nature to, to, to share or to be around a group like that. But even, but just if you make the first effort, if you start to connect with people, you'll start to find. Listen, get in a growth group. We do those during the week. We're starting up, um, you know, next month, uh, our growth group start up again. When they do, jump in and find a, a group, group of people that you can do life with. You'll find it to be so much better living your life with others rather than all by yourself in, in trying to walk out this, your faith in Christ. Now, um, it, it says... In jo so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. That I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. See, it's by remembering what the Lord has done in the past that sets you up for victory in the future. You're learning to fight. I, I would imagine, and the reason for writing that is that generations past would see that story and go, oh yeah, we better do, we better get to the mountaintop. We have a battle. We better have somebody on the mountaintop praying. We, be, we better win the war spiritually so we can win the war in the natural realm. And, that, that, and you need to do that as well. When you have victories in your life, don't forget. Look, remember the victories that God brought you through. The, the miracles, the power of God working on your behalf. I, um, I, I, I believe that, see, here's, here's what's going on. Down in the valley, they're fighting like crazy. And they don't even know most of them don't know that when they're winning, they don't know it's because someone's on the mountaintop praying. They have no clue. They just thought, man, that was a good move I just made. <laughs> you know? And, in the and, and really in the pride of so much, we just make all these assumptions not having a clue that somebody's on the mountaintop praying. And that happens in our life too. You know, I, I'm pretty confident that every person who is a follower of Jesus are a, a follower of Jesus because somebody was praying for you. And I think, I believe I have good scriptural support for that. And you might go, well, I don't know who is praying for me. You might not know. I know in my neighborhood, I'll do walks and I'll just be praying for my neighbors. I'll walk around. I, I don't know many of them. You know, I'll walk the whole the whole complex, and I'll see somebody stand and say, Lord, I pray for that person. They don't know you. T touch your heart, minister to them. They don't, they don't know I'm praying for them. And, and, and I imagine you have gone through things in your life that you would never have made it except for somebody was praying for you. You had miracles, and somebody was praying for you. I've observed this this way. I've seen Christian parents 
praying for rebellious children. And there are times when those rebellious children would have been dead if it wasn't for that Christian parent, but they have no clue. In fact, they're kind of arrogant in the fact that, you know, it seems like, you know, they're able to move through life and they, they don't know that there's somebody or they don't, they don't recognize the connection between that praying mom or that praying dad and the benefits of life that they are experiencing. Now, they can, it isn't that they can make any choice they want without any consequences, but there's a covering. There's a protection. There's a blessing that is there. And it's because there's somebody. And you probably have somebody like that who has been in your life, or at least even if you don't know, somebody maybe that's been praying for you and that's why you're here today. Because that covering, that protection is there also if they're covering you in prayer. And, and we arrogantly go, man, I'm whipping everybody. <laughs> now there's somebody on the hilltop been praying for you. Been praying for you. And we need that. Then it says, Moses built an altar, called its name, the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. That God's going to take care of this, this, this pain, you know, in our side kind of thing. God's going to take care of it. But he uses the term, the Lord is my banner. And what is that? Well, we kind of have a banner, you know, nationally we have a flag. And that's our banner. It's... It's our, it's our flag. In fact, we pledge allegiance to it and we sing songs about it and so forth. But it isn't, the flag is not our nation. It's a representation of our nation. But he's saying we don't have a representation. We have the real thing. Our banner is the Lord himself. The Lord is our banner. And, uh, and so God blesses. By lifting up hands. And when we lift up our hands, you lift up your hands to God, he will lift up his hands to bless you. I see that in Luke chapter 24, verse 15. It says, and, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. The, the circumstances of this is right before his ascension. He had risen from the dead. He had been with them for 40 days. And then he ascends into heaven, and right before his ascension, and they are to watch it, he reaches out his hands now and blesses them. You lift up your hands to God, he'll lift up his hands to bless you. That's what God has said he would do. And this is the way the church has fought its battles throughout history. And when we've gotten it, both individually and corporately, it's really revealed in the corporate nature of prayer. The church, throughout the centuries, when the church has gotten the value of being on the hilltop, in other words, folk pressing in in prayer, incredible miracles have happened. Revivals have taken place. I mean, there are so many, and of course, don't have time to talk about all of that, but, but if you do any kind of study of church history and, and, uh, and, and study um, revival, the history of revival, you, you'll know that every time something of a revival nature has happened in the church, it happened because there was a small group of people, started with a small group of people who prayed. Somebody stood on the hilltop. 
You know, in the, the turn of the, you know, in the eight, in, around the 1800s, there was a strong move against the church. Started, you know, of course, in Europe and, and uh, with the French Revolution and, and in England and in the United States. People don't know that. We've always thought, like, well, the church, is, the church has not always been strong, even in the United States. And there was a movement in the universities that was anti-Christian. Very strong movement that was moving very strong. So it's not the first time this has happened that's happening right now in, in the university. And there was a small group of people who got together. There was one man who really kind of promoted this, pushed it, and a small group of people started praying. Well, that small prayer meeting turned into 10,000 people praying in small prayer meetings across the state, and then it went across the nation. And within a decade, a million people, remember the population was a whole lot smaller back then, a million people came to Christ as a result of praying of a group that gathered together for prayer. And when the church catches this, listen, it doesn't matter how far things have gotten, God can turn anything around. But each generation has to learn the value of prayer. That each generation has to learn that. And if we don't catch it, then there's always, you know, the consequences of that. Now, I, I, um, I want to bring us to a point. I want to talk about, and it wasn't my original plan to do this, but I need, I, situations came up that I need to talk about this this morning. And it's really around a prayer focus that I want us to, to press in to talk about. I want to tell you a testimony, a great story. Um, the beginning of, of June, at the beginning of June, we had, um, um, we, we were, we, let, let me back up. Um, in our church, we have our budget, our income budget, is kind of broken down in several ways. First of all, 52% of our income that we use for our budget comes from your giving, tithes, 52%. Um, 30% of our income, 33% of our income, comes from outside the church. So there's a small portion that comes from different things like our schools and that kind of thing. But 33% actually comes from outside. Of ministries that give to our church, um, based on, and use our, our church facilities, and we work together with them because we value their ministry and so forth. That's part of it. But another part was that we had connected, we had made a, a means of being able to use our building in, in, a, in, in relationship with our, our schools and get grant money on that using our facility. That, that grant money brought in a, a significant amount of money. About 27% of our total income come, came from that grant money. And so um, the, the benefit, of course, that did to our, you know, we were able to use that to help both of our schools. It was used for other things. One of the, and it was part of our budget. And one of the things we did is 
they have a, we had a summer program, and the funds from that summer program, if kids signed up for it, they could, in fact, go to camp for free. We were offering that. We said, listen, you sign up, we'll get you to camp for free. And so we had 200 kids sign up. Early in June, on a Sunday afternoon, they came and they went through, and there was classes they had to take and so forth to make them qualify. But once they, they did that, then after the classes, they could, in fact, go ahead and, uh, and go to camp for free. We did that on a Sunday. And on Monday morning, we got a call that all the grant money was gone. We wouldn't get a dime. We had promised 200 kids they could go for free and no money for them to go. So on Tuesday morning, our staff got together for some real heavy-duty prayer. But my wife, who didn't come to staff meeting that morning, she was on the phone, and she had called uh, a family, a couple that we had known for years, hadn't been to our church for decades, but every once in a while, they would sponsor a kid or two to go to camp. So she thought maybe we could get them, if they'd be willing to sponsor a couple kids maybe. And when she called them and told them what had happened and what we're doing, the, the wife started to really cry on the phone. And Carol says, what's wrong? Is everything okay? What's going on? She said, well, an hour ago, my, um, my husband walked into uh, our kitchen and said to me, I have $8,000 and God has put on my heart that we're supposed to give it to, and, and donate it to some church or some ministry. And so Carol talked, and then, then they asked us, what, what, what was the numbers, you know, I mean, that, that is needed, and she told us, she said, they, and they said, well, we're going to do the, we're going to round it up to 10,000, and we're going to send it to you. Well, they, like I said, they don't even come to our church, but God spoke to them to do that. Then we got another call later in the day from someone who doesn't come to our church. And, um, but their daughter comes to our church and heard about us doing the, taking kids to camp, didn't know about the challenge at all. This was brand new, but just knew we were sending some kids to camp and said, hey, I'm going to send you a check for $2,500. Now, I don't know why it keeps being people that don't come to our church. But anyhow, um, this, this took place, and then others, from, others gave to help the kids. It turned out we were able to send all 200 kids to camp without having, you know, and, and covered all the kids. And, is that great? God's good. Now, that, that God does these amazing miracles. He really does. Um, but here's the other thing. That 27%, that isn't coming back. That many isn't coming back. And that was a made, that's a part, obviously, it's part of our budget, and we've done some cutting and so forth, but we have completely um, depleted our savings on that. It's gone. And we're in a situation where we need. But let me tell you what happened to me. When I heard this, I went to prayer. And after a little while complaining to God, um, I felt the Lord speak to me and say, 
because I kept, this was my prayer. Lord, we keep going in this, we keep in this place. And it seems like we're always praying, Lord, to, you know, give us enough to finish, you know, give us enough to cover. And I said, that's not where my heart is, Lord. I want us to be praying, Lord, give us greater vision. Don't, let us not be limited by our resources, you know, but let our vision be able to expand because we have bigger vision than we have resources for. And that was my prayer. And I felt the Lord speak to me and say, I'm going to turn this into something good and, and, and to bring us to that place. Now, that's what I believe is the, the, the prayer focus. And I believe God wants us to do that. But we do have challenge. We, we have a challenge. In fact, I, I'm going to ask, um, can I ask, if you are on this side of the post, if you're physically able, I don't, you know, if, it, if it's hard for you, don't do it. But if you're on this side of the post, would you just stand? I'm just going to use you as a, as a prop. I'm not, just stand. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. That, you know, I don't know if numbers are exact, but that, about that represents the, the percentage of the, our congregation that ties and gives regularly. It's 28%. Thank you. You can be seated. That, that's the percentage of the church that tithes and gives regularly. Not every one of that 28% actually tithes. Tithe is 10%. But they, that represents those who tithe and give regularly. The, uh, the rest of the percentage of the congregation either doesn't give anything. There's a, there's a pretty large group that gives nothing. We don't have a record of one dollar. And then others are periodically give a, you know, a gift here and there. Um, and that's really one of the reasons why, and we have worked real hard to get outside income, but we really don't need, want to rely on that to make it happen. And now we can't. We're at the place where there's going to be severe di diminishing ministry in our church if there isn't something done. And the reason I didn't do a, a, a message on giving and spend the time doing that, because that's not really what I want to focus on. Because I really believe we have to break something in the spirit before it's going to be broken in the natural. And there are people that are afraid to give. They just don't think they have enough. There are people who have priority issues, you know. There are people that it just doesn't matter. In fact, there are people that come to receive only and not to do anything but receive. And I think that's a spiritual issue. And I believe it has to be broken in the spirit first before it's ever going to be dealt with in the natural. So this is what I'm asking you to do. And, and we are not good as a church. We're not good as a church praying through as a church and breaking through together. We do things in, for individuals. We pray for people and break through in people's lives. But as a church, just everybody in the church, not, not just like the so-called prayer warriors, but everybody in the church making it a focus of prayer. And when we do that, listen, God's not 
broke. He's not limited, but I do believe that he's wanting us to realize what it takes. I, I've seen God do so many miracles. I, I can't even tell. I, I, remember, I remember one time here a few years ago where um, we had come to the place where I got the phone call that we were not going to be, the, that day we needed to pay mortgage and we were $50,000 short. Now our mortgage is $65,000 a month. And so we were, I was told we're $50,000 short. And I was at home at the time when I got the call and I knelt back in my backyard, I knelt on my knees and I said, Lord, you know, like, what do you do? I can't come up with that. Don't have that. What do we do? Praying. And uh, so we, I just prayed and I just, you know, was doing my best to believe God and don't know what to do with that. I got a phone call, uh, I, I think it was like an hour and a half later. And this is what she said. She said, some guy who doesn't come to our church. <laughs> I thought, that's a good sign. So some guy that doesn't come to our church walked in and handed, I think it was Kim Murphy, a check for $52,000 and said, and said this, is my, this is my tithe money. He didn't come to our church. He said, this is my tithe money, and he wanted to give it to us. Now, I've been trying to get him to come to our church. <coughs> now, the point being, I do believe God can do, but I really believe God wants to use us. And I'm asking you, I'm asking you to pray. And I'm asking all of us to pray. And I'm asking you to do to cons- concerted prayer, pressing through for the next 30 days. And in fact, I'm going to ask you to press through until you hear a miracle came through. Okay? And you just press. And every day pray. And when you gather together with your family at dinner, bring that up before the Lord. Lord, bring resources. Bring blessing. Bring, you know, bring it to. And let's pray together for a miracle. Because I believe if we can do it on the mountaintop first, it'll happen in the valley. So will you pray with me? And Father, we just come before you. And Lord, we're... We need your help, and Lord, we're asking you to give us victory in this area of our church life. Lord, bring resources that would allow us, Lord, to continue the ministry beyond the level that we have right now. Lord, to expand it even, Lord, that, Lord, we won't be, Lord, trying to just figure out if we can, Lord, you know, somehow cover some things that we already have going, but that, Lord, we can expand our vision. And, Lord God, we can, we can move forward on things that you've placed in our heart. We know it's, Lord God, what needs to happen. Father, I pray that, Lord, it will be, Lord, I pray whatever opposition is there would be broken. I pray where, where people, Lord, are bound by fear, Lord, of not having enough. People are bound by materialism that, Lord, has grabbed a hold of their heart and they, they won't release anything because, Lord God, they gotta buy the next thing and get the next thing that, Lord, is unneeded, but, Lord, just, Lord, has grab, grabbed their heart. I pray that that would be broken. I pray where people, Lord God, are even with resources that are so, 
limited, that there's just not anything there for them, Lord God, I pray that you'd break through in their resources. I pray that, God, you'd give, Lord God, uh, greater income to them and that, Lord, the body of Christ would have more than enough and that, Lord, we wouldn't even be relying anything, that, Lord, everything that comes outside would just be uh, added to it, Lord, It'd be icing on the cake, Lord, for us, but, Lord, we would be able to, to cover all that we need. And, Lord, I pray you'd bring blessing, do miracles, Lord, that you could be honored with, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, the ushers, if you're, you're ready, we're going to receive the offering and we're going to close in worship. So we're doing those two things at the same time. And if you'd like to give, you can do it you know, online or you can do giving. But Father, I pray you'd bring blessing. And uh, Lord, as we give, bless gift and giver in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>